In the text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is our epistle reading from 1 Corinthians 12 and especially these verses. So God has composed the body, giving honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If there's one particular form of sinfulness that fits humanity more comfortably than all the others, it is the sin of selfishness. It's so easy, you see, to get focused in so tightly on our own needs, our own concerns, our own thoughts. Because those are the things that seem so urgent before us every day. But sadly, we must admit that many times when we start thinking a lot about number one, so to speak, it means that there's not a lot of time or energy left to focus on number two or three or four, even if we know that we should. Today, the Word of God seeks to shake us out of this soft-as-silk sinfulness. It wishes to irritate us just a little bit in order that we might look beyond ourselves to others. And in particular, today, we are called to look to the needs of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Our epistle today is the continuation of the reading we had last week. And last week we focused on how this section of scripture teaches us that different people are given different gifts for the common benefit of all. But near the end of all of that talk, there is that phrase which will serve as the focus for the sermon today. Paul writes there, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And no doubt, at times through the working of the Spirit, Sometimes this happens just beautifully and matter-of-factly in the body of Christ. One member of the body of Christ endures great tragedy or goes through a particular time of physical suffering and the people of God simply gather around and see what kind of help is needed. And yet I fear all too often there are circumstances, even within the immediate confines of our congregation, I am sure, that there are people who suffer through things alone. No doubt, sometimes that can be because that person will not allow their own suffering to be revealed in order that others might be able to help. But other times, if we're honest, it's simply that we will not allow ourselves to be bothered by the suffering of others, at least not in ways that would break our normal routines and habits. It's not just that we sometimes ignore the suffering of those closest to us here in the body of Christ. Sadly, sometimes it seems it's something we do on a grander scale as well. Just last week, a report was published called the World Watch List. It's published by an organization called Open Doors. You can find more out about it in your bulletin if you wish. But it's a publication that seeks to open the eyes of the world to the fact that there are many places where Christian persecution is ongoing and severe. 
How they try to get this message across is by every year looking at the 50 most dangerous places there are in the world to live as a Christian. This organization's research this year estimated that there are 245 million believers in Jesus who live in areas that they consider to have high levels of persecution. That's about one in every nine Christians. Unfortunately, just this morning, as I turned on the news, there was news, if you haven't heard, about a church in the Philippines. Whereas they gathered, two bombs went off, likely set by the Islamic crews that are around in that area. Twenty people were killed, and countless others were injured, not to mention that the sanctuary they were gathered in itself, a cathedral, was blown almost into bits on the inside. And they're not alone. In North Korea, the Kim family is much like those powerful families that we hear about in the Old Testament scriptures, who eventually get so enamored with themselves and their own legend that they simply will not allow the worship of anyone or anything else. Any resistance to such outright idolatry in North Korea can be punished. The free exercise of Christianity is not argued about there. It's simply not allowed. In Afghanistan, not to mention several other countries throughout the world, Islam is the official religion of the state. And that means that anybody that tries to embrace anything else can be subject to persecution of differing degrees and forms. In Afghanistan, it's simply not legal to be a Christian. It's seen as a betrayal of family and tribe and country. Christian people can there be attacked often without any repercussion. And in India, the Hinduist national government has for the last several years been increasing pressure on Christians. Those who cling to faith in Christ are not seen as being truly Indian at all. For you see, the religion there of Hinduism is so closely tied to the state government that it is assumed by radicals there that if they were to attack a Christian, they would never be, or they would never be punished or investigated. And these are just a few of the examples these parts of the body of Christ are suffering. And yet often we probably do not regularly suffer with them in tangible ways. How often do we as individuals remember to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted? How much help do we as a congregation or as individuals or even as a synod direct to these brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through such perilous times? We suffer with them, as we are called to do. But again, this isn't just, though, about how we treat those parts of the body of Christ that are scattered across the world. We must return to a more closer context, even unto our congregation itself, and ask, do we suffer well with one another? Does the suffering of people right around us cause us to pray for them and cause us to offer care for them, even if it does mean that we have to break a few of our normal ways of life. Are we ready to visit the sick, even though we might admit that seeing them in that condition might not 
make us feel very easy? Are we willing to go and visit a shut-in member, even though conversation with them might not be easy or immediately tantalizing, since they haven't had a lot of opportunities for new experiences that week? Are we willing to go to someone who's just been through a tragedy of unthinkable magnitude and simply sit with them, even when we know we have nothing we can say that will just fix the issue. And it doesn't stop there either, I suppose. If you really think about it, maybe we should focus in even a little tighter. Or perhaps the hardest place to suffer with brothers and sisters in Christ happens right in our homes. I mean, it is hard to suffer with people there that are suffering because we know them so well. And their suffering, it affects us so directly. We must ask, are we willing to suffer with our spouse, even when we wish some days that their issues would just go away, or at least that they'd stop talking about them so much? Are we willing to suffer with a child who seems to be so much more depressed than anything in their life should suggest they should be? Are we willing, as brothers and sisters in a literal sense, to suffer with a sibling who might be driving us crazy that day just because there's something truly bothering them in their life. We are to suffer with one another. It is simply something we have been given to do. Now, no doubt it's a lot more fun when we get to rejoice together than when we're called to suffer together. And God does give us that joy as well but not at the expense of suffering, with, or suffering together. No, we must suffer together even though, yes, and many times that costs us time and energy and sometimes money as well. But we're simply called to it. Do you get the metaphor in our text? This isn't to happen as some great feat. It's to happen because we are all connected as one body in Christ. Yes, we are all one body. And therefore, just like the legs can ache because the back is not well, or the head can throb because the neck is a little out of place, or that bad knee, or I should say the good knee, might buckle because the bad knee no longer can handle the weight, well, that is how we are to suffer with one another, because we're simply one with another. It's to happen so naturally in the body of Christ, that we don't even need to think about it. And yet any time there is something that is supposed to be so natural for us in the body of Christ, and yet we find it so hard to do in our actual lives, well, that is hard indeed, and it should lead us to confession. For ultimately, it is a time that we need to admit that we are not abiding and remaining in Christ and his gifts, as surely and as securely as we should be. We're not taking into full account in our hearts and our minds and in our lives the newness of Christ, that newness of life, I should say, that Christ has given to us through his death and resurrection. We're not loving God as purely as we ought, because we are not simply following his commandment to love one another. And when we recognize those things truly, well, then it is us who will suffer. We will suffer guilt and shame 
and regret. But you know what happens when we suffer? Well, Christ comes and he suffers with us. For you see, he is a part of this body. The scriptures say he is the head of the body of Christ. And oftentimes when we hear that, we solely think about how he is in charge of the church. And no doubt that's one of the points of the metaphor. But let us remember today that it also simply means he's literally a part of us. He's part of the body of Christ. And therefore, when one member suffers or one member out here suffers, Christ suffers together with us. Yes, he comes to us. When we suffer guilt and shame and regret, he gives us just what we need. He sits with us long enough in order that we might know that our sins are forgiven in his name. He does not leave us or forsake us, but instead stays right with us through our moment of trial. He comes to us in his suffering and he gives us his good gifts. And when that happens, well, then we have reason to rejoice. And so not only do we get to suffer together with Jesus, we get to rejoice together with him as well. Our mourning by him is turned into dancing. As our shame and guilt and, reject, or, and regret are turned into for, forgiveness and life and salvation. Again today, Christ through his word comes to you and meets you in your suffering. And when we recognize how good that is, to have a fellow member of the body of Christ come to us and suffer with us, well then we will be inspired to do the same through the Holy Spirit. We will go out in the newness of life that the Spirit offers to us, seeking to live as the Scripture says. If one member suffers, all of us suffer together. So let us go forth from this place, forgiven, renewed, uplifted. Let us go forward and suffer with those in the body of Christ, whether they're in our homes or in our congregations or scattered throughout the world. For when we do this work well, then we will have reason to rejoice. That one who is suffering will actually now turn to us and invite us instead to rejoice with them. For they will have felt the comfort of Christ through the care of his body. That's how beautifully God has designed the body of Christ to work. What a blessing it is to behold it when it happens just that way. Amen.